Well, good morning and welcome everybody again one more time to Encounter Church. Uh, listen, as we, uh, as we jump in, before we jump into the content of part two of our series this morning, uh, I want to highlight something we've never done before at Encounter, uh, an invitation for those of you to join us. We're going we're gonna to do a, a, a 40 days of prayer campaign. It kicks off Wednesday, and if our math is right, that's going to take us all the way up to Sunday, September 11, our fall launch extravaganza. Fall launch around Encounter is a time we recognize uh, students are largely back in town. It's also a time that we like kick off a lot of our uh, a lot of our ministries around here at Encounter. Kind of moves us into the into the busy season. Uh, it's a huge, huge celebration for us, and and we want to recognize that like fall launch is, is more than like moving into the busy season or a bunch of ministries. That that fall launch is really <clears throat> fall launch is a is a spiritual time when. When even right now, students are like packing up their things, they're getting ready to move onto a campus, and, and they're, for the first time, asking themselves whether or not they're going to, they're going to be a, a Jesus-following kind of person on their own. Whether or not they're going to honor the spiritual rhythm of uh, weekly worship that maybe it's been ingrained in them, maybe it hasn't been. But they're making these choices, and there is a ton at stake, and there's a ton of spiritual freight that goes along with it. And so we as a community, we want to recognize that and to prepare ourselves. 40 days, you know, why 40? I don't know. It sounds like the right amount of time. Also, it feels very biblical, right? Like, let's just call it that. There's nothing extra holy about 40, but it's like, listen, Jesus prepared for 40, uh, for 40 days by fasting in the wilderness before his ministry. Uh, Lent preparation for Easter is 40 days long. We feel like 40 days is enough. You're going to get one of these cards, uh, as you, uh, as you head out, uh, through those doors on the, that's the back, on the, on the back, there's a QR code. Scan that. We've got daily devotions. It's a great thing to do together. As a family, uh, together, all of us, there's a few activities in there. Again, it's just a holy, holy season, and, and we want to we bring that and honor that before our Lord. Uh, today, we're in part two of our series called Respectable Sins. And maybe you're just uh, passing through here. Maybe you're brand new at Encounter and you, and you missed part one. And you're like, what is a respectable sin? Uh, this series is about recognizing. Sometimes we think that like, everything that's wrong in the world is like out there somewhere. Uh, everything that's wrong in the world is the big, gross sins happening out there. It's like murder is out there. War crimes are out there. Like car theft is happening out there, and that's a big deal, especially if you own a Kia or a Hyundai like I do. <laughs> it's working something inside of my heart every time I go out and I see my car is still there, and it's like learning a posture of gratitude for the small things, right? Big sins out there somewhere. What this series is about is recognizing there's also something wrong and broken with the world, not out there, but in here. There's also something happening that's wrong in the world that's inside of my very own heart. And Jesus is going to do a work on me, but I have to recognize what some of those things are. And so we kick these things off, these sins that maybe, maybe they're acceptable, maybe they're, we might even call them necessary. Like, I'm just trying to like avoid hurting somebody's feelings. Last week, and we talked about how much our words matter. More than you think they do, words matter. That was part one. Today, we're talking about a respectable sin that kind of gets dressed up, gets prettied up every now and again. Uh, An emotion that comes out of us, maybe even when we least expect it, when we're driving down the highway and the car next to us decides to speed up, pull right in front of us, and then proceed to hit the brakes. There's an emotion that pops up when something like that happens. 
There's an emotion that pops up when we're walking through our very own living rooms at night and we take a Lego to the foot. Maybe words come out, but there's an emotion that's also present in that very moment. When we go into the kitchen and we see that no matter how many times I've asked him, he left his dishes not in the sink, not in the dishwasher where they should go, but next to the sink, there's an emotion. Come on, I'm preaching to someone this morning. There's an emotion that comes out, that happens in those moments. Today, we're talking about anger. Now, examples aside, some of you might not think that you struggle with anger. Some of you are like, listen, I'm not, I'm not an explosive person. I don't erupt. I don't really have an anger. I might think of somebody who does, and maybe I'll send this message for them, and that's what Jesus has for me this morning. <laughs> Before you go there, story. Uh, older couple, they've been married for years, decades and decades. And, uh, and one time she sits down, and she's like, you know what? I've had a temper all my life, our whole marriage. And she looks at her husband, and she goes, I have lost my temper on you more times than I can count, but you've never returned the same to me. How do you keep a handle on it? How do you stay like so in control all the time? And the husband goes, you know, every time that you've lost your temper on me, I've went into the bathroom, closed the door, and cleaned the toilet. And she goes, really? Like, that helps you? Like, keep a lid on all your anger? He goes, oh, yeah, especially when I use your toothbrush. (laughs) Like, it comes out. (laughs) Anger, whether we spew it out or stew on it until it comes out and seeps out, it comes out. The anger has, uh, has a presence in our lives. There's a counselor that I came across in preparation for today. And he says, listen, I'm just dialing numbers. If your phone rings, you know, pick it up. But I'm just throwing some, some stuff out there. Counselor goes, you might struggle with anger if you've ever said any of the following words to yourself. I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated. Why can't I have a bad day without it being such a big deal? Oh, I guess you never make a mistake. You're just being too sensitive. Or my very favorite, I'm sick of being the only one who ever has to say, I'm sorry. I'm guessing we hit a few people in the room in that line today. We struggle with anger. How could we not? It is the air that we breathe. It's the water we swim in. It's all around us. You know we live in an outrage culture. Social media, news apps, whatever it is, it's them. It's their fault. And we go to the sites and we go to the places just to like nurse and feed our own anger. It hits us all. Whether we want it to or not. And how could it not? That's the bad news. The good news is that this is not a new phenomenon. (laughs) That we, as followers of Jesus, trying to live a more Jesus-centered, Jesus-forward kind of life, have been struggling with this for a long, long time. Thousands of years, in fact. Because when the Apostle Paul, pastor, sits down and writes a letter to this church he dearly loves in Ephesus, he might as well be writing it to Grand Rapids. He's got some words for us in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to go there. If you're like a note-taking kind of person, I hope you are. A dull pencil beats a sharp mind in remembering the truths that God whispers to you. We're going to hang out in Ephesians 4. We're phone-friendly. You can find your favorite Bible app and take some notes. We're starting off in verse 26, and we're all in the same couple of verses here, where Paul writes in his words, he goes, In your anger, three words, do not sin. 
Uh, so the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in a couple of other languages. This part was written in Greek. I had to learn Greek in undergraduate school, and now you have too. I'm just kind of processing some of that out too. So that's going to make an appearance uh, a couple of times. But the translation here, um, in your anger, do not sin. Sometimes it's, it's translated like, be angry, don't sin. You can kind of tell that the author here, Paul, this pastor, is trying to thread this very difficult needle of like, y- y- yes, you, you can be angry, but like sinning is another thing, you know? And he's trying to like tease some of these things apart, and it's multifaceted. There's a lot to it. He goes, maybe there's, maybe there's a, such a thing as like sacred anger as opposed to sinful anger, right? Sacred anger, and we're like, oh, this is Jesus, right? Like Jesus got angry all the time. Jesus' best friend, John, wrote about this in his gospel, in his Jesus story. And he's like, yeah, my friend Jesus, he looked at the religious leaders, the Pharisees at the time, and he goes, you brood of vipers. Jesus was angry a lot. I'm just following in the footsteps of Jesus when somebody cuts me off. It's a sacred, righteous anger. Jesus, why have you turned my father's house into a den of thieves and kicks over the tables? Jesus was angry. I'm following in the footsteps of Jesus. My kids have to know to pick up their stuff. I mentioned last week some of this content comes from a slow book, Respectable Sins by, uh, by Jerry Bridges. Highly recommend. Uh, Bridges writes in the book, there's sacred anger and there's sinful anger. You can make an excuse and call your anger sacred. It's a holy kind of justifiable rage. 99% of the anger that we experience is probably sinful anger. It's probably not quite as respectable as we think it is. It's probably not as sacred as we think it is. There's sacred anger and there's sinful anger. You can make a lot of excuses to let yourself off the hook for however your anger comes through. Don't. Some of you, I have walked with you for a very long time and we have a certain amount of trust built up and you might be inclined to believe me because you know I care. Others of you are, are watching online and we haven't met. We don't have that kind of rapport and I recognize that. But listen, as, as somebody who, believe it or not, cares It's a big ask. I recognize that. You have a thousand reasons, a number of excuses as to let yourself off the hook. You can tell yourself, I only did this because she did that. You can tell yourself, it's just the way that God made me. I'm like, I'm a hot-headed kind of person. I can't change. You can make excuses. Or Or you can make progress. You can't make both. I say that thing about progress because, again, Bridges, in his book, he he writes about this, this unholy, this sinful kind of anchor. And he goes, when we make these excuses, we let ourselves off the hook, sure, but there's a far more sinister danger right underneath that. Because when we let ourselves off the hook with anger, we don't ever get to see, we don't ever get to expose those unholy motivations that led to that anger, the the emotion beneath the thing, the sin beneath the sin that's wrecking and and taking its course in our lives. It's, It's when we don't let ourselves off the hook and make an excuse that we see, well, there's usually three things. This hit me in the week, so I'm gonna share it with you. There's usually three underlying sins, underlying emotions that like bring us up, well up that anger. They're pride, a a sense of loss of control and just selfishness. 
pride, loss of control, selfishness. We could let ourselves off anger. Man, the kids know better. They need to just put their stuff away. It's a sacred kind of anger. No, no, no. Don't make that excuse. For the sake of you and those you love around you, don't make that excuse. Ask yourself. Ask the Spirit of God living inside of you. Jesus next to you. Why did I do that? Why did I blow up like that? Is it that there's this sense of, it's my house, I should be in control. I have lived so long without taking a Lego to the toe, I don't need to start now. They're taking the control away from me, and I don't like it. There, that, that's where the anger comes from. How many times have I asked them to put the dishes in the dishwasher? By this point in our marriage, it is over a thousand. I know because I counted. I don't think he's forgetful. I think he's doing that on purpose. He's trying to get back from me something. He's, he's trying to rub it in. He's doing it on purpose. It's not just a holy kind of anger for a clean home. It's, it's wounded pride. You know, we start to see the thing beneath the thing. It's so easy to make an excuse, and I'm just asking you to consider not to. I wouldn't have done this if you didn't do that. Mm. No, one, no one causes you to feel a certain way. No one causes you to be angry. As I like to tell my kids, and, uh, and some of you tell your kids the same thing, and maybe you heard a version of it for yourself, you are bigger than your feelings. <laughs> like you are in charge of you and how to respond. When that anger wells up, what's going on underneath the surface? You can make excuses or you can make progress. You can't make both. You are bigger than your feelings, or as Paul says it, in your anger, do not sin. And then he goes real practical. And chances are, even if you didn't grow up in the church, you may have heard a version of this next line in verse 26. It's the same verse. We're not skipping anything. Right through here, verse 26. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Like, chances are you heard a version of this, like, especially if, uh, especially if you're married and somebody gave you semi-solicited advice at some point, and they're like, hey, you know, never go to bed angry. We've heard of that. Terrible advice. Really just misunderstanding what's happening in the, in the passage here, in the Bible. It sounds good, because it sounds like something very related to the Bible, but how we tend to interpret that is like, don't have any any unresolved conflict before you go to bed at night, which is, which is horrible, right? So like sometimes it's like, well, I don't want to go to bed angry, so like I have to figure everything out before we lay our heads down, you know? Whether we're going to have two kids or three kids, we better, you know, we'll figure it out tonight, right? 2 a.m., 3 a.m., whether we stay or move, take the job, quit the job, have two kids or three kids, like whatever it is, we're going to figure this thing out tonight. You guys, I have had some sleepless nights early on in my marriage, and not in a good way, that because we misinterpreted like this passage to think like we got to figure everything out. So we argue late into the night. And now I'm realizing, like, look at this. Again, the Greek word anger is like orge. It's this rage that like takes over us. Is Paul saying, inspired by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, saying you don't have to have every last conflict ironed out before you go to sleep at night, but that rage that we're so tempted to nurse 
and keep and tend to and act like it's a little pet inside of our hearts and just like, oh yeah, and then I could say this and then I could twist the knife like this. No, 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 that doesn't have a place. Don't nurse that. Don't go to bed with that thing. Like it was years into it when I realized I can like have this conflict and say, honey, I love you. I don't think we're going to resolve this conflict tonight. Let's come back to it tomorrow. And also, I love you. Like, that's an option. But nursing the anger, night after night, day after day, oh, that, takes, that takes a toll. And this is what he builds up to. This is what's at stake. It's at so much more, so much more than yourself, so much more than a relationship that you might be in. What is at stake is in the very next line, again, not skipping anything, verse 27, and do not give the devil a foothold. Greek word. Don't give the devil a tapas. Tapas. It literally means a location, a place, or a seat. It's tempting. And the anger, nursing it, keeping it, feeding it and watering it. It's easy to keep that thing. And to give the devil a seat in your heart. We're going to do a tough thing this morning, but a necessary thing. Potentially a life-changing thing a friendship-changing thing, a relationship-changing thing. I'm going to ask, what kind of angry person are you? And this isn't like a hand-raising kind of thing, but I am asking for raw and real honesty with yourself and potentially with the person that you came here with and with your small group. And if you're not in a small group, email Robin Bupp, robin at encounterchurch.org and tell her why you're not in a small group. What kind of angry person are you? In what way are you giving the devil a seat in your heart? I think that there's two places. There's two seats that we do this. The first one is a spewer, and the second one is a stewer. Spewers explode. Spewers express their anger. You've been around spewers. It's not hard to identify them. Usually just by the volume. It's easy to identify a uh, fun story, uh, just when COVID was breaking out in 2020, uh, I had started to get into a, a nice rhythm of like going to, the, going to the gym in the mornings. And it was a rhythm that I'm like, I need to keep this up. And it's COVID time, so in our guest room, in our house, we're like, we don't have guests anymore. So we turned that into a home gym. So my kids got to be introduced to Jim Dirk. Who's different than like stage Dirk and like lobby Dirk and really any other Dirk. Jim Dirk is, a, is another entity entirely because I am of the mind that if you can keep a straight face while working out, while lifting a weight, then you aren't lifting heavy enough, right? So my kids come into this, uh, come into this room now and they see, they see me working, right? They see me like, and they're both like standing in the doorway like... That's an angry face, Dad. And I'm like, no, I'm just doing it right. <laughs> By the way, I'm not a fitness professional at all, so that's terrible advice. But, that, but that's how I am, and that happened. That's, a, that's an angry face, right, Dad? Uh, no, that's a gym face. 
Gym face is totally different. Well, fast forward a little while later, I'm, I'm outside, I'm working on uh, my kid's bike with him, and it kept like breaking, and parts kept getting loose, and I got the little wrench, you know, and I'm tired of tightening it all the time, and I'm like wrenching the wrench over, right? You know where this is going. The, the part slips off, my hand bashes into like the cassette, you know, of the, the gear thing on the bike, and it just like bashes in. And, and, and you know there's like that moment before the pain sets in, like your brain is blocking it, and like it all goes, it all fades out and it's, it's cut, it's starting to, the blood is like starting to well up. And I'm just waiting for the pain to hit. And my kid, God bless him, my kid is like, does that hurt, dad? Why'd you do that, dad? What's it feel like, dad? And he's just talking the entire, and I'm just like, Grr! and I'm like, Bleh! and I erupt, right? And the words start coming out and the spewing takes place. And he's like, ah, oh, that's your gym face, right, dad? No, that was the angry face. <laughs> that was different. I'm now bleeding. <sighs> Spewers erupt, express, explode. Cain and Abel are the story. Genesis 4. Cain and Abel brought sacrifices. Abel's was better, his heart was in it. God could see in a way that only God could see that Cain's anger is, is welling up. And he cautions Cain like he cautions some of us viewers today. And he goes, You're ang- the sin is crouching at the door of your heart. You must not let it rule over you. If you've been around spewers, you know. They might feel better by erupting. But no one else does. Some of us are, are spewers. Others of us have given the seat up of stewers. You know who you are. I would ask you to raise your hand, but you're not going to raise it, and you'll probably just stew about it all afternoon that I asked you to do that anyway. So we'll skip that part. Uh, stewers are the, are the kind of people that, that have the fights, just like the spewers. The stewers, the stewers will have the knock-down, drag-out, toe-to-toe, fist-to-fist. They will have the entire fight, but it's in their mind. <laughs> and it doesn't actually happen out loud. Uh, some Marvel fans in the room, stewers are like the people that are Doctor Strange, like looking in 14 million different outcomes and possibilities into the future and having a one-liner teed up for every single one of them in my mind all the time. As a steward, a lot more insight into, uh, in, into my marriage. Uh, we were married 14, 15 years at the time, and you get to know someone, right? And you know when things are off. You know, had, having a bad day, just not eye to eye, and, you know, I'm um, talking about, like, something's wrong, you know, honey, right? Like, you're off, we're off, like, we can, we can name that. Nope, I'm fine. Are you okay? No, I'm fine. It's dangerous now, but are you sure you're okay? No, I'm fine. Okay. <laughs> I know that you're not fine. <laughs> We've been married for a very long time. I know when things are fine. And she goes, okay, you want to talk about it? Let's talk about it. Last night, you cheated on me. And I'm like, whoa, like, back it up. Hang on here a second. She goes, no, I know. In my dream, I had a dream that you cheated on me, and I'm angry about that. And I'm like, come, like, you know that's not real, though, right? And she's like, it doesn't matter. I'm still angry about it. 
And to her credit, like, you know, we talked about it and that was better. I don't, you know, it, we, we were on the road, right? We can, laugh, we can laugh about it now. But like what we do sometimes is that like we sit and we stew and it has an effect. We have to recognize. Spewers, sure, we know the effect. Stewers have an, have an impact. Stewers suppress their anger. Bible story, not Cain and Abel, uh, the prodigal son. I love that story. You guys know that I love that story. Uh, Luke 15, a screw-up younger kid runs off, spends all of mom and dad's money on wild living. We never find out what that is. He comes home. Dad doesn't walk. He runs out, right? Big hug, fattened calf, robe on his back, ring on his fingers, sandals on his feet. Welcome. You are lost, and now you're found. You're dead, and you're alive again. Such a beautiful story. That's not where Jesus ends it. That's act one. Jesus started this story by saying a man had two sons. The older brother. While the party was raging inside, the older brother was in the field, stewing. His father pleads with them. Listen, your, your, your younger brother was lost. You know, he's dead, but, but, but he's alive. <laughs> it's, a, it's a miracle. I never thought I would see this day. And Jesus just leaves it at, but he was angry, and he refused to go in. Spewers aren't the only one that harm those around them. In your moments of honesty, search me, oh God, know if there's a way, offensive way inside of me. Am I stewing in a kind of way that number one, harms me, and number two, will harm some others? It takes a toll. What do we do? It's not our best Jesus-forward life to be rage-bringers and not peacemakers. What do we do? Thank you for asking. Verse 28, continuing on in our passage. He's summarizing now, so there's a new concept. It's not a new concept to them, but he's talking about stealing. He's also talking about anger. Verse 28, he goes, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Unless it's a Kia, just stay away from Hyundais, that's all. But they must work and doing something useful with their hands, that they may have something to share with those in need, do something useful with their hands. You see, I don't think it's enough just to, just to try to avoid being angry. We need to do something useful. It's interesting to note that like, when anger is talked about in the story of God in the Bible, uh, there's a metaphor that comes along with it more than any other. Fifteen times the metaphor of fire is accompanied, a burning, raging kind of anger. And I think that that's intentional. You know, uh, fire ha- has this paradoxical uh, kind of use for it. There's at times when fire is devastatingly destructive. There are other times when fire is a necessary constructive element. If you live in Michigan... In January, your life depends on fire. It heats our homes. It cooks our food. You guys have seen pictures, maybe even have friends and relatives who've lived through wildfires. 
It's devastating, the raw power of it all. It could hit either way. Guys, anger functions very much the same way. Think about it like a raging, powerful fire. It could hit differently in different seasons, in different times, in different circumstances. The caution of treating your anger is to put away sinful anger. Fan the flame of sacred anger. Put away sin anger. Fan flame, fan sacred anger. They're different, and we have to know which is which. We've spent our time talking about this sinful anger. I think it's 99%. I think it's most of the time when we go wrong with anger, it's this one. It's time to put it away. I think the way that we put it away, the way that we, be, we do something useful, like Paul recommends, is to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Right? Jesus takes the relative comfort and security of heaven. And he goes, you know what? This isn't good enough. This isn't in my plan. What I want to do is to, is to move from heaven to earth and to walk in their shoes and to see the world that they see it through. And so Jesus wears skin. He becomes human in order, in order to experience the, the deepest kind of empathy that any of us could ever imagine. Could we do the same, and might that have an impact on the way that we treat others? When somebody roars around us and then has to slam their brakes in front of us, how could they? How could, how could they? How could I? Moving from the heaven of my car into theirs, what would make me drive like that? What kind of interview might I be late for? What kind of emergency could be happening that would make me drive like that? It stretches us. It grows us. Empathy does that. Walking in somebody else's shoes. It puts away some of that sinful anger. Why does the person next to me talk all the time? Just, I'm trying to get some work done. Why won't you just be quiet for a minute? Why does she talk so much? Why? Maybe, is it because she's a single mom of toddlers and this is the literal only adult conversation that she is going to have all day? It stretches us. It grows on us. Walking around in someone else's shoes like Jesus did. It puts away sinful anger. But we also need to flame, fan the flame of sacred anger. There are also times when we have been pressed with a burden on our hearts to do something, an injustice that we have seen, and we have not acted out on it, and it's just as wrong. Some of you guys know around Encounter, we've adopted these, uh, these organizations at Kentwood. Uh, we love the Green Apple Pantry, uh, Fulton Heights location. We love uh, Kids Food Basket, Food Insecure Kids, 27,940 kids right here in West Michigan, Food Insecure at risk for all kinds of harm happening to them. We can do something about that. Last year, we have done something about that. Almost $40,000 given away to meet that particular need. Like, like we get angry. We should get angry with a sacred kind of anger at the injustice that these kids are experiencing. They deserve better. The image of God inside of them deserves better. Let's get to work. But it's not just church. Like you have a burden on your heart. Like the spirit is whispering something into you right now that kind of gets you riled up. Maybe childhood homelessness. 
some causes that come to mind and you're like, you know what, someone should do something about that. And he's saying that someone is you. Fan the flame. Blow on those coals and bring it to life. Let's do something about it. That's how God changes the world. He chose to change it through you. And may we never forget that when we talk about anger, and the people that anger us, that we went first. That Paul wrote to another church one time, and he actually used the phrase in writing to them that our natural disposition towards God isn't friendly, it's enemies. That we have been acting opposed to God instead of along with him. That when we talk about whatever's wrong in the world isn't just out there, it starts in here. Paul's like, yeah, no, really. The damage in the world is, starts with me. And it puts me on the outside of God. It puts me on the outside looking in. And God relates to me in that moment as an enemy of his. But because of the nature of God, the, because of the character of God, he's not willing to settle for that. He's going to do something about it. He's not willing to relate to you as an enemy. He will go to hell and back to make his enemy a friend. He will go to the point of death and back again to new life so that he can invite you to sit at his table and feast on his meal for all eternity. God could have responded to us with anger or with rage, but he chose love. He chose mercy. And man, he chose grace. That's a story worth sharing. It's a God worth following. And some of you are like, I'm in. And some of you are like, I'm in for the first time that I can remember I'm in. And so what I'd simply like you to do is to share it with one other person. If you're going, man, I never knew that God made a seat like this for me at his table. I never knew that I was an enemy of his and he didn't respond with anger and rage like I would. He responded with grace and mercy. It's a beautiful story and I'm in. If you wanna be in, if you wanna follow Jesus, if you wanna make this your declaration, you gotta tell one other person before the day ends. We've got a place set up at the prayer table uh, during this last song. Go there, tell them, come up to me afterwards. Tell me, if you're watching this one online, drop a comment, send a private message. Tell one other person that Jesus loves you to death and back again to new life. And it's a story worth sharing. Because we're not rage bringers following Jesus. We are peacemakers. I want to invite you guys to stand up. Let's go into the throne room of God in prayer together. Jesus, we mean that literally that you love us to death and back. Because you have. While we were still sinners, you had our name written on your hands. In your heart, you died for us. You didn't respond with anger, with rage, with grace, with mercy. You're not a rage bringer. Jesus, in that act thousands of years ago, you showed us what it means to be a peacemaker. You walked in our shoes and you understood our plight 
Spirit, give us the grace, give us the power, the courage to walk in somebody else's shoes this week, to see the world as they see the world. And may it grow in us a little grace. You have never given up on us, Jesus. Your love will never, ever give up on us. In your grace, in your mercy, in your name, we pray. Amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.